Knock knock. Who's there? Build blast knock knock. Who's there? Build blast knock knock. <laughs> so, <laughs> you get that. I don't get it. bi-weekly podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts. I'm Joey Albin. I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle. So this episode, we're talking about uh, M83's album Fantasy that came out uh, about a month and a half ago at this point. I think it might be helpful first to talk about M83 as an artist slash band, because that's kind of an interesting progression they've been around about 20 years the core of it were two guys uh, anthony gonzalez and then uh someone else who i for don't do not know his name however the reason i don't know his name is because about eight or nine years in i think that other person disaffiliated from the band i think on good terms and i think at this point it is basically fine to consider m83 is anthony gonzalez so this is the first kind of real album since a long break, uh, since 2016's Junk. In between, he did a lot of soundtrack work. So he did a soundtrack for the movie Oblivion. He did a soundtrack for a Cirque du Soleil tour. Uh, he did have a couple albums in there that were more like a soundtrack, but not for a movie. M83 got on my radar because their 2011 album, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, is one of my favorite albums. Anthony Gonzalez kind of said he was considering this album the follow-up to Hurry Up, We're Dreaming because uh, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming was massively successful and it kind of spooked him and he was kind of like not comfortable with all the fame and all the pressure. So that's why there's this long gap. What are y'all's experience with, with M83? Mine's very short. It's just uh, been hearing Midnight City on the radio for a long time. I mean, I, when I first heard it, I was like, I like that song, but I also got sick of it pretty quick just because the radio does that to music. But mm -hmm. that is all I knew of M83. Yeah, I had a pretty big like uh, synth pop. My first like foray into synthesizers was like 2009-2010. And as a result of that, um, for like several years, my my soundtrack of my life was like everything Ghostly International was putting out at the time, like School of Seven Bells, Diastro, things of that nature. Um, along with older 80s kind of stuff. When the 2011 M83 record came out, I was completely absorbed in it. I absolutely loved it. I metaphorically wore out the tape just listening to it over and over and over again. And I was thoroughly disappointed by every subsequent release. I felt the whole fame is it for me was a little bit of a cop-out. Because it's like, man, you got people like Atticus Ross who are making this, you know, amazing soundtracks to a lot of movies, but they're still putting out hits. I don't think I don't see those things as being different. And reading about it on Wiki before this podcast, I guess it's a little bit more of a, like you said, the fame kind of spooked him. He didn't want to be famous. That's kind of my journey up until this album. I tuned everything out basically mm -hmm. until this album came up. Yeah. So just a clarification to the listener, we do want to be famous. so. 
<laughs> keep listening to our podcast. <laughs> we will not get spooked. So I, we're not going to talk about this album, but I, I actually did like 2016's Junk. It's weird. Like you read the descriptions about like, oh, he abandoned the song and got too, too deep into weird stuff. And then like a lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was nearly as good as Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, but I thought it was fine. Also, Darvel and I talked about this. I hate this album cover. It grosses me out. It creeps oh, me yeah. out. I don't like anytime I'd be listening to this on Spotify, I'd have like minimize this window. I hate this. <laughs> I did. As I got a closer look at it, it seemed the holes in the cheeks are eyes. Like when I look at it that way, that the cheeks are the eyes and the nose is the nose of that. And you get like this alien face. That doesn't freak me out so much. So I just try to focus on that part, the bottom half of the face. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like uh, what's the Goonies monster? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Chunk? Or like, yeah, or like E.T. I, I thought E.T. when I saw it, yeah. <laughs> That's a good good trick. I'll say this was the hardest one for me to listen to of all the huh. albums we've done. It was an effort every time I was like, okay, I got to go do my chore. <laughs> got to go listen to the album. Here we go again. Not one of my favorites. I loved this record. <laughs> I, I I actually thought that this was gonna be it, Joey. I was like, I was like, Joey found the record that everyone's gonna love. <laughs> this is gonna be the first one. All three of us are on the same page. So James loved this. Darwell didn't like it. I actually am like somewhere on the slightly higher side of medium. So, oh, not a, yeah. It the thing is, it was my favorite album to have come out at the time. I will say my favorite album to have come out since then is this really good black metal album that thankfully uh, Darvel will not be subjected to because I already picked <laughs> this M83 album. <laughs> is that the uh, era or ARA record? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's great. Although maybe it would have there been would have been more to talk about if I had picked that one. <laughs> I will say kind of going off of what Darvel said, I, I also found it hard to listen to initially. Not in the terms of like putting it on and listening to it and enjoying it, but in terms of like finding things to talk about. So so the first time I was listening to it, it was kind of just like in the background ambient sound. And I enjoyed everything I was listening to, but I wasn't pulling out distinct facets of stuff. When I went back and treated this like I would treat like a jazz record, you know, hear all the individual textures and when things were coming in and leaving. That's when I found that there was a lot to hang your hat on. And after doing that, it became harder and harder to not notice that stuff as I listened to it kind of ambiently in the background. Yeah, it's funny. This album, I've been, you know, this podcast has taught me something about myself, but uh, <laughs> this album kind of fits in, which is I tend to have pretty maximalist tastes in music. So like, you know, like even like the Yeba album where it's like, this is live in the studio, five people. It's like, what if we had 1000 chord changes? A lot of things where it's like, I like when people take these big swings. M83, they do not do sparseness, or he does not do sparseness. You know, everything is just like a wash wall of sound. And I, I think something that is different between this album and Hurry Up We're Dreaming, in Hurry Up We're Dreaming, I think he nails the sweet spot of like giving you the hook. I think this album. There's a few songs where the hooks are too far between. If I'm being charitable, I'd say the song takes a long time to develop. If I'm not being charitable, I might say it wears out its welcome. I think that's 
what you described, James, is a little bit of a danger with M83 and also maybe a perk, which is you can just kind of turn it on and it's it is instantly acceptable background music. And it is harder moving it into that like kind of close listen realm, I think. And I think this album is more difficult to do that than with Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. There is one comment I did want to get on um, before getting into this, and that was I tried really hard not to read a lot of the press on this album. But one thing I did see when I was searching about the background of the album is there was a, a press quote that said, Shoegaze does not fit the genre that M83 is in. We need to invent something new. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because a lot of the stuff that you identify as like kind of being charitably developmentally long, as you said, those are the kind of the shoegazy elements. I don't know that it really got out of that territory for me. And I, and I like shoegaze. I'm not a person that's opposed to it, you know, so I was kind of curious your thoughts on that. I've always been kind of confused by the M83 being categorized as shoegaze music. When I think of the kind of hallmark bands of that genre, they don't sound like M83. I often associate shoegaze with one more earnestness. I think there's a certain like throwback irony with M83. Like we are intentionally trying to go for this like craft work, old school thing that I think shoegaze doesn't as much and i think the maximalist of m83 where it's like we're gonna use 37 synthesizers and it's gonna be this wash of sound and i i think some shoegaze does that more with guitars than synth you know like a million fuzz pedals or whatever but it doesn't have the same clean wall of sound i associate shoegaze with more of like a, a dirty wall of sound yeah, no, that's a, that's a way to to put it. Yeah, where it's kind of like a like a thick, opaque. Yeah, versus texture, like yeah. a big open wash. I, I don't know. I had to look up shoegaze because I've never heard that term before. So now I'm I'm very curious to go listen to some of these bands after reading the characteristics of shoegaze. I don't know if if you if you're looking at it now, Darvel, but it's referring to because all of the musicians performing it we're just so in self-involved and like introspective. They're just like staring at their shoes the whole time. Uh, so yeah. And I'm nice. looking at their pedal boards and everything. I was, I was wondering if there's a connection there, but that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in the tracks. The first one is water deep. I have a theory about this track. And my theory is that water deep was not a separate track at first. I think it was part of Ocean's Niagara, but they wanted to do that song as the lead single, so they snipped off the first three minutes. I wrote a similar thing. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that too. The way I looked at this album shifted a lot, but when I first listened to it, I was just like, oh, sometimes bands have that like intro song that's just noise, and that's what this is, until I realized that's kind of this whole album. It's just lots of noise that i'm like <laughs> what is this doing here Where, when are we actually getting to the music so i, I started seeing this as like at, at one point i was like oh is this going to be more of like i need to look at the entire album as a song and this song is the intro of the song like anyway i complete i i wrote like this song is not i don't think it's we're, I don't think we're supposed to know it's an intro, but it definitely feels like an intro in that it builds and builds and builds and builds until the next track that it seamlessly builds into. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty fair to call it either 
an intro to the whole album or at least an intro to Ocean's Niagara. I don't know if he meant this intentionally, but like given that everyone knows M83 for this like synth stuff to start this album with an acoustic guitar is I think kind of a funny little pun almost. I do like the Mm. moment when the sequencer starts coming in and adding some rhythmic elements to to the track instead of just spacey guitar stuff i think i think it's that sense of the song is finally starting to gel with like some rhythmic foundation i think that's a a good feeling in in this track i did also note that i like the guitar i thought it was a good inclusion it it kind of gave me the vibe of like a of a more self-indulgent pink floyd where i felt like they always had like a a place there especially you know before the split they always had a place where they were kind of going with it. Yeah. I So this actually, this guitar thing brings up something that I, I think maybe we can reference throughout this discussion in interviews and press for this album. Anthony Gonzalez says, Oh, we're finally making like band songs again, like B A N D not B A N N D E D. We're back to our, like, just playing a song as a band roots that we were before hurry up. We're dreaming. There's a couple, there's a few songs on here that I think that's definitely true. I don't think this is necessarily true for the whole album though. I don't think it's any more true than it was for hurry up. We're dreaming, for example. And and I don't know this person at all other than he's French. So I, I'm predispositioned to think that there's arrogance there, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it might be um, kind of like a Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins band situation where he's like, all right, guys, we have this song. I get the first three minutes. I'll tell you when you can come in. Yeah. (laughs) Or, I mean, it could also be like if he felt like he was in a band more because of how closely he worked with Justin Meldel Johnson on this album, who is like, he's not a synth guy. He does bass and guitar. and, And, you know, so maybe that made him feel like he was making band songs more than he's used to. I I don't know. So moving on to oceans, Niagara, this is the, this was the lead single, uh, got a lot of good press. People seem to like it. think it's a good song. What, what are your thoughts? I don't think I'm doing it right. (laughs) I think that's kind of, (laughs) I think that's like my summary of my experience with this album. So yeah, first time listening to this, Water Deep, I was just kind of like, okay, throw that away. What's next? Where are we going? Ocean's Niagara. I'm like, okay. Even after that super long Water Deep intro, still got to wait for something to happen. And then something finally started to happen. You know, we get the Beyond Adventure, like, okay, cool. And it just, it felt like they forgot to add verses and choruses and bridges. And it's like, oh shoot they forgot to have the song like at one point i was like picturing the like mastering or you know mixing or whatever and they like sent it through with everything muted and it's like (laughs) oh gosh it's just the background extra noises that got pushed through like dang it we forgot the song oops all berries (laughs) yeah (laughs) except it'd be the opposite because i feel like the berries are what's missing but I finally got to the point where I was like, you know, I did some research because, again, I knew nothing about M83. I saw, you know, Oblivion soundtrack and stuff there. And I was like, okay, this is more like, you know, I was expecting an album of Midnight City where it's like, these are your typical songs, you know. Um, And I was like, okay, this is more of just kind of like background music, noise, you know, soundtrack stuff. Let me go out at that approach. 
And then I heard this song on the radio. I had a moment of just like, what is going on? Because I, <laughs> I thought I had like, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm listening to this. And then I realized it wasn't through my phone. Like it was the radio playing this song. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Like, where, there's no song here to put on the radio. I mean, there's good things in there, but I feel like it's like the tiny, tiny sprinkles and the, the core of the song is missing. I, I mean, I like this song and I would agree that I don't think it has much of a place as a radio song. Certainly not compared to Midnight City. So I might be an outlier here. Um, I love minimalism. Like, I absolutely adore it. And uh, like Philip Glass is on my senior recital in college. What'd you play? Uh, the opening from Glassworks. Oh, cool. I got to meet Philip Glass one time in college. It was really cool. All that to say, I have no problem with like one thing changing and being like, oh, there was a triangle this time. Like, and like finding those. <laughs> <laughs> so I really enjoyed on this, you know, the, the beginning you had, first of all, the, the drum sound. It's either a really, really good library or they had a, a good drummer on it. Do you know? I don't know. I mean, the, the hi-hat stuff throughout this whole song is really sounds great. Uh, I don't know if it's real or not. It, it's got that kind of like, like, you know, people are doing weird things now where you're like, like stacking symbols on top of symbols to get that yeah. kind of like fake, like synth hi-hat sound. So I don't know. Yeah, I, but the, I don't know. The, the fat snare drum like really brought me in. I thought the when they started layering the melody of the synth with the guitar. That was a really cool texture. And you started to get this kind of like like a stereo effect, but like vertically, that was kind of neat. And then I really appreciated the tambourine against the uh, the layered tremolos was like a really cool thing because it was almost like the tambourine was like shaking the sound of the synth. I thought mm -hmm. that was a really cool effect. Yeah, I guess they like sync the clock or something. Like, is that how they kind of lock in like that? I, I mean, it could it could have been, or it could have just been you know like they they had the tremolo going and. It was a real tambourine and someone was playing it, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Lots of really cool textural stuff. Also, um, near the two minute mark, there's this like cool, like little ascending swoop. Real, real neat sound. Really enjoyed that. I also really like minimalist music. Lamonte Young is one of my favorite composers. He did this piece called The Well-Tuned Piano, where he he tunes the piano in a slightly way that you, when you hold the sustain pedal down, there's lots of weird interactions and the reverberations and stuff. And it takes place over like four hours of just like very, you know, Philip Glass, like running through arpeggios over and over and over again until it starts to build up this kind of wash of reverberation. And you start hearing beats like in physics, like audio beats kind of line up in the reverb it's it's a fantastic piece it's one of those ones that like i'll just like put it on while i'm reading or something it's it's really good i think what darvel said is true in that this kind of album does necessitate a a little bit of like an intentional shift in what you're listening to if if you're if you intend to pay like close attention if it's background music fine whatever but like i think you are you do have to kind of consciously attempt to listen for something like you said, oh, cool, a triangle came in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no problem if someone says like, yeah, I that's ponderous. Like, I don't like listening to music that way or, or that doesn't work for me. Like, I think that's absolutely fair. Also, 
I'll just go ahead and say it now. I love all the weird, meaningless lyrics on this album. <laughs> I think this is a perfect example of how I listen to lyrics, which is like, those sound cool. And I don't really care that much what they're about. I think they're fun. So the, the next song, um, Amnesia, first of all, I, I just have to say the background vocalist is insane. Yeah, I definitely noted that on this track. I love it. I And I thought it was the same vocalist from Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. And based on the credits, I think it's not. Yeah, it's I mean, it's one of the people he works with a lot. Um, He has like this frequent cast he uses. I don't know if she's on Hurry Up, We're Dreaming ever. I, I don't I didn't do the comparison. Man, anytime she like cut through and was in the melody, I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, let her sing all the time. <laughs> it's, it's just powerhouse. What about it? Her is insane. I think it's just like the control in the register that she's in. It's almost like she's kind of shrieking. It's almost, it sounds like a little bit crazy. I think in an intentional kind of controlled way, almost the way that someone like, I mean, like Bjork can do that sometimes where it's like she, or or like St. Vincent, like, you know, really going for it, but it's not getting gross or, you know, out of, out of control. I I just think as smooth and like perfect and regimented and reined in as the vocals in M83 tend to be having this woman who's like just going for it and kind of like I said almost shrieking I think is like a really cool foil to that I would also add the like when you think about in this genre you kind of think of like vocalists like uh Sushi and the Banshees where that uncontrolled warble can really take over Mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it's neat hearing that with that having said that now I thought the vo- the lyrics on this album were harder to comprehend than the Lorna Shore record. <laughs> to understand like what they were singing? Anytime I thought I knew what the words were, I was wrong. <laughs> Legitimately. Like it is like I I really thought, you know, the only lyrics in the last song were we are adventure. Because that's <laughs> We are adventure, yeah. And, and then, you know, on this one I was like yeah, that part where she's like, you know, and the touch of your hair, like, that's so cool. Like, whatever. It's like, no, that's not what she's saying. Like, <laughs> and she's the more clear vocalist. I don't know. So, so yeah, the, the lyrics were problematic for me on a lot of these, just trying to comprehend them. And I did not know what anyone was saying until I looked them up. I'll go ahead and say, I think this song was actually my favorite song on the album. I think it also maybe would have been a better single than Ocean's Niagara as as a standalone single. This one does have like band vibes. There's a guitar, there's drums, there's bass. Like it sounds like a band could play this song. I do like also how the song builds in the intro. You have this little do, 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 do flute thing that is just kind of gradually building. It almost layers in like an orchestral way, you know, like Stravinsky kind of building up a piece over time. Also, I realized I love when pop utilizes. Uh, a minor five chord in a major key praise and worship music actually does like a very good job of using minor five chords. And I think it kind of is like a moody ethereal sounding chord progression. Anyways, that's go check out minor five chords. People they're, they're a good chord. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is my second favorite song on the album, but I would say it's like, according to your like standard pop definition of what a song is i'd say it's one of the two songs that's actually on this album but again that's just in a 
not saying all songs have to fit the mold. So I heard Ocean's Niagara on the radio, and then later when I was listening to it again, I was like, yeah, this is the one I heard on the radio. And then I was like, there's no way it was this one. And then Amnesia played, and I was like, it must have been this one, because this is an actual, like, song, like, you know, the song mold. But uh, no, I looked it up, and it was Ocean's Niagara that was on the radio. Well, you know, it's funny you're saying that, Darwell, because you... You're absolutely correct in that, like, the the term song does have some sort of agreed upon meaning. I remember in college, I had more than one professor that would get on to students when they called everything a song instead of, like, a piece or something. Because he's like, no, mm-hmm. a song is a specific genre, and this is not a song. It doesn't even have vocals. But also, not all songs have vocals. But, <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I, but I, all that is to say, like, I do think it is absolutely fair and accurate to say that some of the things on this album are not songs. I think that's a very valid argument. And I don't, I don't even think it's necessarily like a, uh, a negative thing to say as much as it is right. just like a formalist thing to say. The other thing I experienced, I feel like I, when it's music that I like, it's, it's not my taste. I try to find something I can appreciate about it. And usually it's impressive stuff. And that's my typical I think I might have talked about this before, but if someone is like, oh, check this out. If my response is impressive, it means I didn't like it. <laughs> like, it's like, I didn't like it, but there is stuff that's impressive there. You know, so like Lorna Shore, it's like they are doing things that it would take me years to try to recreate. Like they just very skilled at their craft um, and it's impressive. This, I'm like, I feel like I was doing this when I was... 11 years old playing around on my dad's <laughs> keyboard just like you know you have like the preset going and it's like oh let me change the key a little bit throwing some weird sounds over here and uh lyrics it's like just whatever man like just say the words th- just the mumble out of your mouth and put some actual words to it and i know that there's a lot like for me if i want a synth sound i go find a synth sound adjust it a little bit and play it and i understand like if you're creating the sounds like there's so much more to it and if that's what's happening here then it's like oh yeah there's this whole beneath the surface stuff but for me it's just like i could create this song like this and not too much effort again if anyone is upset by me saying that please express (laughs) that (laughs) have you tried doing what you already do while being french that's true he's got that going for him I, I mean, you just you put on like the, uh, the the bike jacket and the cigarette and drink a lot of coffee, wear a scarf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your life will change. So a criticism of M83 that I think is definitely at play in this album is that M83 tends to favor magnitude over depth. I, I mean, another way to think of it in a maybe more coarse terms would be like, quantity over quality going back to the minimalism discussion when you listen to philip glass or or terry riley or whatever it doesn't sound like this it's minimalism both compositionally but also like in its arrangement philip glass rarely writes for full orchestra you know most of what he's going to be right the biggest group he's going to write for is like a medium ensemble and most of the time it's far smaller than that and a lot of the minimalist composers are that way they're writing for one two three four up to ten people so I think there is a weird clash with M83 and on this album of like maximalism and minimalism and that like every song is just like a wall of stuff. And yet 
sometimes you do feel like there's not all that much happening with that. I, I do think, though, there are some clever things. Like, even in this song, right, he has this part at the uh, at the 250 mark where they have the introduction of the compound meter for a bar and then everything drops away. Yeah. And, like, that's a really cool transition. It's a play on a trope. Instead of doing the, like, digga, 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 you know, just kind of to pull in that, like, right, yeah. So so there is some songwriting prowess that's happening here. If he was reined in, I feel like there are some good choices being made. Yeah, 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 yeah. So next song, Us and the Rest. Um, After Amnesia, this was my second favorite song. Also, I do want to take the opportunity to read these lyrics. Um, Hello, freak. Can you see the sky ladder by the limbo cafe leading to the green ray? <laughs> Great. I realize, like, I pretty much am treating these lyrics the way I would treat Sigur Rós lyrics, which, for those aren't, who aren't familiar with Sigur Rós lyrics, they sing in, like, a made-up nonsense language. They're an Icelandic band, so they could sing in Icelandic because no one knows that language either, but they sing, I think, they have a name for it. It's like dream, dream speak, or I don't know. I tuned out the lyrics on this one. They really seem interesting. There were a few things <laughs> of note on this. The first thing is that the opening sounds almost identical to the Coheed track from the record we reviewed earlier this year, Window of the Waking Mind. Hmm. If you go back and listen to it, the first time this came on, I was like, I thought like my playlist was on shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh or like you know like my my favorites were on shuffle and i was like oh no it's not it's actually this record so something to look forward to the other thing is i like the the use of the tuplets being previewed throughout the track the mm-hmm. and then at the end it becomes that like full like just constantly going the mm-hmm. whole time i thought it was kind of a neat you know layering effect of like this is what's coming i was going to mention because you brought up sugar roast i haven't listened to a lot of sugar roast my uh cousin that i'm very much like uh he's so cool he listens to the best music was super into them so i tried i know i've put him on a few times as i've been listening to this album i thought about sugar roast a few times do you think there's some similarities in their music or the yeah okay i would i think so i, I mean i used to listen to a ton of sugar roast i haven't much in the last few years but i i think there's definitely some overlap in terms of like big cinematic sounds and kind of dreamy sounds yeah i i, yeah. I think that's accurate because yeah they they came up a few times in my head i was like i should go listen to see if it's similar or not because i'm picturing it as being similar but i wasn't familiar enough with them to know i think cigarros is more organic in terms of like you, the instruments they use it's less much less synth driven um or it it comes across as less synth driven where i think this is very explicitly like trying to to place itself in like a lineage of synth music you know going back to to craft work and all all through the 80s and everything and i don't think sigaros is doing that but i i think there's definitely overlap compositionally this feels like a song that should be later in the album especially because like oceans niagara got this driving hi-hat beat amnesia is like quick pumping and then there's kind of this weird drop off when we get to this song where it's all of a sudden pretty slow and open 
And I kind of felt like I wanted to keep that like faster driving pace going. There's two moments in this song I really like. One is around one minute when you finally get that big bass piano note. Dong! It comes in. It's like, ah, such a good moment. And then again at like 315 when the synth bass comes in and it kind of just like explodes at that point. I think part of the reason I don't enjoy this album is because I don't enjoy instrumental music. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in college and my buddies are like, you know, what uh, soundtracks do you listen to while you study or are writing and stuff? And I'm like, I don't listen to soundtrack music. And I feel like a lot of this I would put in that category where mm-hmm. it's like, I could see this music being awesome behind something else so the times i enjoyed this album the most were when i was working or doing something else and it was just playing in the background like i i am good with it at that level but then to actually pay attention to it and have a podcast about it is where it was a struggle for me and Mm -hmm. a lot of effort for me i really enjoyed the build throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. If you, if you look at the the, you know, the fundamentals of like the fundamentals of music composition, where it's like you know everything is built on tension and release, the the ability to hold someone's attention for the period of time that it takes to make the payoff effective is hard. I don't think I could replicate this if I tried, where I could make this as interesting as I found this to be. Something it reminds me of. So I don't listen to EDM or techno or, or any sort of like dance-based electronic genres i don't want to say any but hardly any but like a good dj can like tease you with the up the break that's coming forever you know like build and build and build and build and get till you get to the the finally the 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 drop or the break or whatever kind of genre it is and i think there's a similar thing here and i and i think also going along with that this album some of the more frustrating moments are when i don't think he quite sticks it where he maybe never there's never a release it's like all build no release and it's like what was all that for you know what i thought we were getting somewhere or like you said i don't know if he maintains the tension enough and it's kind of you kind of realize oh i'm just hoping he hurries up and gets to the release rather than like being in that tension until we get there like i was saying earlier where it's like i feel like i could do this i want you to call me out on that and and so like in these little things of being like being like oh this tension and release like this is you know this is more difficult to to create than you might realize and so because yeah there's a lot in here that i can no and i I realize now that that's how that came across that was not my intention because you were talking about amnesia right like the pop song right well i was just saying in general most of the stuff on this album oh okay so no i i i took it you were talking about that track which is more of a formulaic pop song Mm-hmm. This one here, just the whole, again, not to harp on this too much, but like the tuplet thing, knowing how many times to tease that idea and where to put it in order to cue the listener that when it comes back as a completely different figure later on, you still recognize it as that first figure. That's, it's a pretty cool trick. I promise you that was not, <laughs> was not like a, a stab at your songwriting prowess. I promise you it wasn't. No, no, no. That's what we have to do after every episode. Each of us has to make our best Lorna Shore song. Each of us has to make our best M83 song. And that's what I meant by that, too, is that it's like, 
I know there are things here that like if I were to go and create my M83 album, it would not be as good as this because there are things that I just am ignorant to and I'm not picking up on. And so I appreciate you bringing those things up to help me be like, oh, yeah, I hadn't noticed that. I hadn't realized that. By the end of this podcast, I hope to change my attitude there and be like, oh, no, <laughs> I, I could not create this. So let's let's move on Earth to Sea. I also noted on this one, I realized, like, I think I might just like music about people dreaming. <laughs> so like, this is the second <laughs> album. You know, the Lorna Shore album was about someone dreaming. Uh, this mm-hmm. is vaguely about people dreaming. He, he said M83 as a whole is evoking like dreams. Have we had any other dream albums? There were elements of like thematics of dreaming on both the gorillas and the Montero record. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very loosely tangentially connected. Also. Oh gosh. What's I instantly forgot the name as soon as I was about to say it. They're also French. Weirdly enough. Al chest. That's who it is. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Very good. If you like Def Haven, Death Haven is mostly a ripoff of Alchest. Back to Earth to Sea, it is pretty sparse, especially for M83. You know, there's a lot more space in this song for the first four and a half minutes. There's not a lot of the big giant synth wash. I think it was really cool when about five minutes you're like, and the song's over. And then you get this extra like minute and a half that's like the real, oh, we're doing like a new outro almost. And then the last 30 seconds of that, then you realize like, well, this is like the real outro. And you get to all these cool like reverb trails and clicks. And this song does something that M83 doesn't do a lot that I think he should do more, which is like the song kind of breaks down and dissolves by the end of it instead of ending on this big open high note that you finally get to he gets there and then like brings it back down again and kind of like lets it degenerate almost a couple of other interesting things i thought this was the first song that really had the shoegaze element for me about like three and a half minutes in he just has these like guitar notes that he just holds out forever and they start getting kind of like warbly where it's like and it's like okay so someone's just like turning a knob somewhere <laughs> to make those things happen like okay i get it there was something at like a minute and 20 and i have no idea what it was it sounded like an auto harp but it's it's very clearly a guitar and i don't know how they got that sound i think it's a synth really i think it's like a either a rolling a chord or like a really quick like arpeggiator Bring. Bling. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's what that's what I would guess. It it could be either though, really. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I was like. I was like, man, is that what a weird instrument to put on a it does on a record? Yeah, like it this. does kind of sound like a zither or an auto harp type thing. And then also just especially after the Laura Shore episode at, at Darvels, I did not once think about the snare drum. <laughs> like this, <laughs> this is another really cool snare sound where you had this kind of like uh, echo effect on it with the. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really neat. Darvel, any Earth to Sea reactions? Earth to Darvel? No, I think this was when I was starting to be like, okay, this music was created to be consumed in a different way than I consume music. And so rather than just being like, whatever about it, I was like, can I like try to 
consume it in the way that it was more intended to be consumed. Because I, I think it's like an attention thing, right? Where I, I want the attention right there. I want it to keep, I want it to keep my attention rather than me have to focus my attention on it. However, I do think there is value to like, because I'm going to focus my attention on you, like you're requiring that of me. It creates a different experience, you know, and then also like moments of being like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this right now? And I'll kind of back to the movie soundtrack idea where it's like, I don't have a movie to have this attached to. And so, you know, let me create something. And it's, you know, this, these dream images in my head or whatever, like, and it's like, what is this music causing me to experience? I don't know, stuff in that realm. That was interesting. I know, like, James, you talked about, like, as you dug into it, like, are you just listening to the different sounds? Is there kind of more of like a meditative, like, experiencing the music element you guys go through when you listen to this kind of music? No, like, I I do I do that with some records, right? Like, I like growing up, I, I was a huge Pink Floyd fan, and still am. And, and those are records where, you know, it'd be very easy for me to, like, pillow under my head like laying on a blanket next to my turntable and just, you know, focusing on what was happening that for this, for me, it was much more intentional that like I wanted something to talk about. And so I, I I had to find things that I could mention as like, this was a cool thing I heard or like, and as I noticed those elements, the list just kept getting bigger and bigger for me. And then as I went back and listened to the song, I had this like, Oh, this is where this thing happens, or this is where this thing happens. You're right in that these aren't like songs like we think of songs all the way through. It's almost like there are these like little like micro expressions he's putting in of like this is this is verse one again, but it's verse one point zero zero one where I changed you know this one element. So I don't know how. I almost had to listen to this record the same way I was listening to a record if I were playing a gig and I had no idea what the songs were. And I was just trying to memorize every facet of the music so I could, mm. I could constantly be locked into what was happening around me. I'll definitely ad- admit I am saying stuff about this album because I was like, I need to say stuff about this album for the podcast. Like, I'm going to listen to this in a very, like, I need to harvest content, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if this podcast didn't exist, this album would probably most of the time be like put it on while I'm reading or something like it. Cause I do think it works well as like a soundtrack. Uh, anyways, radar far gone. Yeah. This one I, I thought was an interesting take on like the acoustic ballad in the middle of the record. Again, kind of playing on that idea that, you know, we have an acoustic guitar instead of synth. It's a neat thing. Uh, again, I think this song is just a really important, important demonstration of how like when not playing is important because it's so effective when the piano finally comes in you know that they just kind of set out that entire first minute or so outside of that this song was was kind of mid for me don't have a whole lot else to say yeah this whole album works really well like i said like when i just had it playing in the background and not focused on it at all but that makes it very difficult for a podcast (laughs) it's just like (laughs) if i pay attention to it i start getting bored and frustrated and so yeah i really don't have anything to say about this song yeah it is a smaller song not as 
processed and affected and everything. I do the, like about the last minute or so, the chord progression I think is a really pretty chord progression. It, kind of a similar thing to what I said at, at some point in the Lorna Shore album, where it's like, you could get your acoustic guitar and strum this chord progression. It's a nice sequence of chords that moves along in like a, a pleasing way. I thought it was a really beautiful little sequence there towards the end. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. You're right there. But then when digging into it as a song, it's just like, it still feels so, I don't know, you know, the chorus is like, keep looking, stand by, cross a blue ridge, slow car. (laughs) (laughs) What? Did did this start in French and not translate over to English well? Like what? That's a good question. Second chorus, stop looking, come by, is it our last chance to be friends? And it's just like, yeah. I agree with what you're saying where it is, you know, pick up the guitar. I'm going to play this song. But then I don't know, as far as like, is it a song worth existing as a song? It's <laughs> like, I, I just feel like there's nothing here for me to grab onto or be like, oh yeah, that, you know, that imagery, that meaning that, you know, all the different things that I do pull from songs. I don't feel like there's anything here for me, except it's, you know, a nice, pleasant sound that, I can work to when it's in the background and I'm not paying attention to it. Anything else on Radar Far Gone? No. Okay, moving on to Deceiver. Darvel, you want to go first on this one? There's a few tracks <laughs> you're on this album. Your head. Where Sorry, I, just, I know I, it's an audio <laughs> podcast, but you're just... You're just <laughs> I just... I felt like I hit a dead end where it's just like, I can copy and paste my comments from this track over to the next one. like. I'll agree with you on this track. I thought this track is not very good. I didn't. I would say there's there's three songs on this album that I would say I don't like. Two of them I don't like because they're boring. The other one I don't like for other reasons. This is the one that I don't like and it's boring. Uh, the weird like jungle loop I think is not very good. Now James is going to say he loved it. I, <laughs> I did number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I really like Latin percussion a lot, and I I really liked. The, I, I'm not sure it was a loop. I think it's actual like hand drums being hmm. played. Okay. It, w- uh, it, it, it might be a loop now. Now I, I kind of want to go back and listen to it. It came across um, as like he had a song and dragged a, a jungle loop on top of it to me. If he did, he mixed it really well. I did like the opening a lot. Um, as it got to the end and it morphed more into like a normal pop song with like the drum and bass came in. I this was the first one that I think I kind of understood what you're saying where it's like we're not going anywhere yeah. like it, it feels like this is all building to something and then it just doesn't arrive I don't know if I would cons- if I would say this song builds like it kind of j- it's pretty static feeling I mean it it builds but not in the same I don't think going going with what you said which I think is a really good thing to keep in mind like I don't think there's that set sense of tension created in this song the same way that other songs do yeah no i i I was scrubbing through it just then to kind of listen and it's like yeah after the the bass and drums come in it just sits there for three minutes yeah so yeah that that's a great way to put it the tension isn't built Mm -hmm. yeah deceiver any more deceiver thoughts moving on to fantasy the title track interested to hear what y'all think about this song this one kind of fell in the I don't know, category of like Ocean's Niagara for me, where I was just like, 
there are pieces here that are awesome, especially the like that part is so good. And I'm like, I would love to hear a song with this in it, but I felt like I just got this like, you know, interludes. And again, I would just, I felt like it was missing pieces of being a full song, but the pieces that are there are cool. This one was interesting for me for, for a couple of reasons. I really liked the staccato vocals in the beginning of the track. And it was funny when I was like first writing my notes, I was like, these kind of sound like a pan flute. And then the pan flute comes yeah. in. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's neat. There's some evidence that there was some planning going on there to make those textures work. I thought it was kind of strange to have these 70s style vocals in what's like a very obviously like an 80s pop song. So this is one of the songs I didn't like, but not because it was boring. I'll go ahead and say I'm not. It is the rare disco song I like. I don't generally like disco as a genre. And I think that there is a very hard line and wide gap between like 70s and 80s, dis, 70s and early 80s disco and 70s and early 80s like electronic music. I am not accustomed to hearing M83 do disco. And I don't think it's very good. Like with the, the octave bass, the doom, ding, doom, ding, doom, ding, doom, ding. I think doing a disco song is not good for them. And I don't think this is a very great song when i think of disco i usually think of an eighth note eighth note pulse and this song has more of a 16th note pulse that keeps it from being like a pure disco cover um and there's some interesting things like around the three minute mark when the song kind of drops out and it's just like the vocals kind of chanting i think is kind of neat and there's really good bass playing in this song but yeah i'm i'm not a fan of them going into the disco territory so i like the song I, I guess my like comparison of like I of why the seventies vocals didn't work. I, I didn't think disco, but now that you said it, it seems very obvious. It se- it seems weird to have that with the kind of like Darbo song about earlier that which is almost like a Huey Lewis kind of like <laughs> riff. It's those elements were kind of didn't fit well with me. It it wasn't enough to to ruin the song i still thought it was a fun pop song i still danced along to it i still liked the you know fantasy i thought that was kind of cool but just odd so moving on to lara i feel like i need to get get out ahead on all the songs i like i really like this <laughs> song <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have to defend my feelings anymore no i i, I uh, like this, this is my too. this is my favorite song on the album oh okay, uh, yeah cool. i yeah, yeah. We, i said this is one of my favorite songs on the album too this was the only song on the record that I thought had very strong lyrics. And I really liked it. This was the the closest thing I thought to Hurry Up or Dreaming on the record by far. I, I think that you could have slid this on the other record and it would have fit. In my opinion, I can see Joey's taking objection with that statement as I'm saying it. <laughs> really, really strong chorus really strong lyrics and then just a really cool you know constant groove with interesting te- textures throughout it's what this is the one when it started i was like "Ooh, i like this and i was like man i wish this one were like you know what i have been calling like a you know the song mold like ah, oh, right here i wish we would get some like actual melody verse here and it happened and i was like oh okay and i was like well 
you know, of course, at some part it's going to stop and just switch into just instrumental something, but it just kept going. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. But yeah, the one I definitely enjoyed most on the album. No, I like the the kind of like slap sounding bass in this song. It's it's like I always associate it with like slapping on a P bass with flats. Like it doesn't sound like normal when flea slaps or you know like it's kind of more vintage slap song kind of like uh the song peg by steely dan has this a little bit and i think this song has that kind of vintage popping p bass sound that's really good Uh, i like the kind of interplay call and response between the two vocalists i think is is really nice i think this is a good song i love the kind of like locked in vibe it has it's good yeah track 10 is sunny boy so I think this is my current favorite song on the album. And I've noticed a trend here. This reminded me a lot of uh, Lost in the Citadel from the Montero record. The drum beat is very similar. The tempo is very similar. It had kind of this like same kind of like synthwave element to it a little bit. I really like that vibe a lot. And like I'm not sure which of those elements makes this like grab onto me as much, but I really enjoy it. The lyrics here were at least cohesive a little bit. You know, we had starstruck, moon, sun, girl burning, her name's Sunny Boy. I could kind of follow what what the vibe was. The thing that made this song really stand out to me is towards the end of it, um, going back to that tension and release, right when you think the song is about to fade out, there's this sawtooth he puts in that has this really harsh edge that's like almost evil sounding and it holds out there and then turns into a pad in a crossfade. That's like really like saccharine and sweet and everything. And so the whole build to that I thought was just expertly done. Darvel, are you going to be the one to say it for the both of us? (laughs) This one, I mean, honestly, I don't think I gave this one a fair enough chance. Like even just listening to it now, there are things that I hadn't noticed in it. And so I think this one just got blended in with the other ones for me, where it was just like great background noise, but didn't pay enough attention to. I wasn't a huge fan of this song. I mean, I didn't like actively dislike it, but first of all, I said like the intro almost sounds like an outro. I, it's kind of a a weird intro to the song. Um, I like the the quicker tempo and there's definitely some cool moments and cool elements. I think something I didn't like as much about this song is I felt that we're kind of plopped into different parts of the song rather than there being like organic development from one place to another. Like it was almost more like here's a sequence of events rather than like a progression. It's weird. Like as much as this, this album and M83 generally is all about this kind of like additive building, we're building where are we going? I felt like this song didn't do that very much. I think it it felt more like, all right, on to the next thing. Okay, on to the next thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I do think that's valid. I, I think that you could probably cut the first minute 45 off this, and no one would know what was supposed to come before then. If you gave me the last four minutes of the song and told me to guess what the first two minutes of the song sounded like, I would never come up with, like, ambient space noise with like warbly mm-hmm. sounds it so so i i do i see 100 percent what you're saying there about how it's just kind of like i had this idea cool now i have this idea that's completely yeah. different so 
I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next one because I think there's going to be a lot of talk to talk about this one. Maybe the more interesting song, Cool Nuit, track 11. What did we think about this song? This is the song I had the most reactions to. By this point in the album, I was kind of worn out and just kind of <laughs> was like, it's just going to be more of the same. You know, I'm not finding a lot of love here. And I, I do think my method of these songs, listening to them, was just let it play. Let me, like, look back in a second and see if I care or not, just because so much space happens right in the music. This was another one that just got lost in that for me. Every time I looked back, I was like, okay, nothing's happening. I did. I was like, oh, it's featuring someone. Maybe it's going to be different with that. And uh, I couldn't figure out what the feature is. That's actually really interesting to bring up. Something is. Just to kind of let you know, Kayla, the person this song features, she's just a member of M83. And this is kind of what I was talking about before of like, he does like on all the other songs, he doesn't say featuring, for example, one of the guys who's uh, featuring Joe Barry, who's like a band member and partner in this band. I don't know if it's like a business thing, like maybe this person gets more money for having a feature like this, like in terms of credit and everything. I don't know. I like this song a lot. I like the kind of classic Hollywood Burt Bacharach style intro just to let you know. So I, I translated, I looked up a translation of the French lyrics. They are, I am daughter of fire and wind. I travel alone in time, all alone. Look at me, stay a while, lend me your picture. Melancholy cry, my night's faces and voices fade away. Anyways. I like the kind of wispy vocals singing weird lyrics. I'm always going to be on board for that. It's kind of the first three minutes are like pretty straightforward, like art song or like, like I said, a Burt Bacharach song, like lounge song. Then we get into like weird carnival sounds. And I, at first I was worried that that was going to end up being a very kind of disjointed or unrelated thing. But I think by the end of the song, it's developed enough to make it work as all one big thing. I think it's it's a weird song. Yeah, I I like the I like the track a lot. Your translation made me feel pretty good. That like my two semesters of college French carried me pretty <laughs> pretty well through this. There were a couple of lines in there where I was like, I'm not quite sure. I was like, I think that's fire and wind. <laughs> Tit soul, I'm alone. Like yeah, okay, yeah. I did think it was interesting that. The English words we're used to are just like kind of nonsense phrases. I, I was just expecting for a French song it to be like a little bit more robust and maybe like a little bit more poetic. <laughs> and and then I got that it says like this is all from my like French one textbook. Like, you know, <laughs> kind of like very basic baby speak. There there were a couple things on here. I really like the abbreviated drums. Full disclosure, I've never played on a 606, but it sounds like what Ableton tells me a 606 sounds like, where it's that very dry, a little bit, you know, less robust sound because it's it's the analog, like tom-toms and like wood clicks. I thought that was a, a cool thing to do. The ending, ending up in that like harmonic minor kind of place, I thought that was a, an interesting place to arrive, like given where we started from, but it was neat and there was there was a lot going on. I didn't notice it until like my last couple of listens, but there's a um, like an interrupted signal 
it's almost like he's playing with a kill switch to make a syncopated pattern on one of the patches. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, worked for me. Okay, we're on to Sunny Boy Part 2, Track 12. And we can just skip this one, right? <laughs> well, it's yeah, like... I mean, <laughs> I said, like, this sounds like a synth, a synth patch test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think between the fluff of Sunny Boy Part 1 and the superfluousness of Sunny Boy Part 2, you could have just had a track called Sunny Boy that was very, very slightly longer than all the other tracks. Man, this is kind of like the Billy Corgan thing that I've talked about. I feel like someone in the room was like, we don't need this. <laughs> we don't need these two minutes here. And he's like, you're right. I'm going to cut him off the song. And he's like, I'm going to put it in the final track list because it's my vision. Like, I don't know. And I, it being Sunny Boy Part 2 and Track 10 being Sunny Boy, my brain is like, ooh, I'm excited. Like, how is this Part 2? Like, what about it makes it Part 2? Why isn't it the track after? Like, what's going on here? And then this was one where, you know, I started playing it and I went to check back, like mentally be like, oh, yeah, I'm listening to a song. What do we got here? It's like, oh, I missed it. Like, it's over. <laughs> like, there's nothing here. So I was very, very disappointed. I think that between the synth test and I'm listening to a song, I think those are like the perfect like descriptors <laughs> of this track. I would love to talk to the guy in M83 and ask him, what the heck is Sunny Boy Part 2? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why is that why on the is album? It? If you have to ask, you do not understand. <laughs> and that's what, yeah, I guess that's what, how it would go. So last track, Dismemberment Bureau, which I said, great name for your kind of My Chemical Romance-ish band. It, it does sound like uh, something from one of Gerard Way's comic books. Now that you said that. Yeah, I was going to say like a, a YA novel. Yeah. I actually didn't look up the lyrics, so I don't know what if the title's relevant or not. Not really, if I remember. Based on my experience with all of these lyrics and track names, if it was, I wouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, do you miss the day of human revolution? What a good way to learn from the hand of a legend. An illusion on color television. What a good way to learn good way to learn about us and the heirs of our land we are adventure i get it i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> I, get it. I get it <laughs> i really like when this song first started i was like oh sweet i was like oh i like this let's see where this goes but it didn't go anywhere i liked so i like this song well enough it definitely feels like we're kind of bringing it home, coasting in for the landing of the album. Uh, it's pretty sparse, uh, almost almost meandering at times. And I think that's why around four minutes when the tambourine comes in, it's like a pretty refreshing moment when there's finally some, some one, some, some rhythmic drive to it, but also bringing in real acoustic instruments like tambourines. And, you know, elsewhere in this album, when we're using acoustic guitars, I think that kind of like, any sort of acoustic percussive sound help kind of break up and punctuate all of the synthesizer wash. One of the things I think made hurry up. We're dreaming so good. He uses a lot of real like drum set and he uses a lot of saxophone on that album. The saxophone is a really good point. I didn't realize how much I missed that voice until you mentioned how prominent it was on the previous record. And now it seems like a 
like a glaring omission on a lot of these songs. Yeah, we were in that weird moment <laughs> where like people were using saxophone because like you had Lady Gaga brought in Clarence Clemens to play on Edge of Glory. Uh, you had this album, or sorry, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming with lots of saxophone. It was popping up in a lot of things, and it was like, okay, we're doing, we're, saxophones are back, cool. And then it didn't didn't really stick. The, the one thing I would add that I, I think that you left out is the, uh, the talk box slash vocoder vocals. Mm-hmm. I thought those were really interesting. There wasn't anything else like it anywhere on the record. I thought it was a nice timbre change. I thought it was a cool way to use some of the same voices that at this point in time we're familiar with, but in a very different way than we had heard them before. And that kind of kept me engaged. I didn't think the ending of this track, like you said, it's it's all the things happening at once, and then it just kind of goes. I, I don't know that was the best way to end the <laughs> record. I don't know what else he could have done at this point. I mean, he has so many other layers of everything all the time. It felt a little unresolved. I like the track overall. But with as long as this record was, I was expecting another song to kind of tie things up at the end, and it wasn't there. I think you could have moved. I think Laura would have made a really nice track to end this album. I also think yes. that Us and the Rest, track four, would also make a pretty good song to end this album. Going back to the tension and the build mm-hmm. and everything, I think that had one of the biggest like climax resolve moments. And so, yeah, it is. Because you mentioned this earlier, Joey, but... I was like, I don't have a, that as a promise track for, but I do feel like it would have fit a lot better at the end of the album. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting trend we're starting where we pick favorite albums that we don't actually like. <laughs> this is two weeks well, in a row now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's 2023's <laughs> fault because it was like, what albums have come out? Like, oh, I like M83. I'll listen to this album. And it's like, I like this album. I guess out of all the albums I've listened to this year, I like this one the best. That might not mean I like it a ton though <laughs> for, for me like i said with with the gorillas record on the last episode i felt i felt like it was just kind of like a mishmash of tracks that weren't a cohesive album that was was kind of masquerading as a cohesive album this is literally the creator saying this is kind of a mishmash of tracks <laughs> but i felt that as an album as a whole it was more cohesive than the other the, the david alborn project i overall like this album I like M83, and this sounds like an M83 album, so I like it enough. I think if in the future something in me is like, I want to listen to M83, I'm almost always going to go listen to Hurry Up, We're Dreaming with a few tracks off of Junk, and maybe now a few tracks off of this album. But as an album, I don't even know if it comes close to the impact of Hurry Up, We're Dreaming in terms of just like a deeply enjoyed album. I think my favorite moment in the album is in fantasy that (laughs) like is good. Like if, you know, I were to meet this guy and not know anything about this album and be like, Hey, check this out. And he would play that for me. I'd be like, Oh, sweet. This is awesome. Where are things going here? You're going to be a star kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that. But as far as this, just, I feel like there's this whole like space world experience thing you go on that i'm just i don't think i'm doing it right i think maybe you know not doing it right is maybe a little harsh because i think it's absolutely true that certain music is made to be listened to in different ways like when i was in junior high and i was like a bratty 
music snob about like, oh, punk and metal's the only good music, and y'all are a bunch of posers and whatever. Like I remember like hearing people be like, oh, I like whatever song because it's like, well, why? And they're like, well, it's good to dance to. And I'm like, that's stupid. That doesn't count. You know, like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but like in my head, I'm like, who cares? But it's true. Like, it's like these, we are listening to music for different things. Like I don't dance. I don't, I don't know if I was, cause I was raised too Baptist or what, but like, I don't think in terms of dancing. So like, while I like some music that is very dance music, it's not because it makes me want to dance. I think there is like music that you have to listen to in different ways. So I think it's, I think it's absolutely like a reasonable thing to say, I didn't have a way into this. And I think it's important to get to, to really highlight that because you get the like report at the end of the month of like how much you've listened to something. I had listened to 75 streams of the, of songs on this album and I still had nothing to say about it. And it wasn't really until this week when I really started digging into it because I had to have something to say that I actually found something that I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it a lot, but I don't think you can ask the average person to spend that much time with a record to see if they would enjoy it. If you're the type of person that would do that, maybe this record is for you. If, if you're not, then a, there's nothing wrong with that. And and B at that point, maybe it's a fault of the artist for being overly indulgent with things like runtime. Yeah. I mean, and especially when you can so easily compare it to other output from that same artist that attempts many of the same kind of cinematic synthesizer stuff and doesn't have some of those problems like on, on other albums and, and even specific songs on this album. So Darvel, what album are you going to suggest as your favorite of 2023? that you will also not like next week. (laughs) (laughs) The album I'm going with, it's an EP, but it's Willow live at Electric Lady. Oh, cool. We're staying at Electric Lady. Exactly. I was like, well, I would have never picked it if you hadn't done the Yeba. I don't know if you guys had done following Willow at all. The only thing I knew of Willow was Whip Your Hair. And then I played this album and was like, there's no way this is the same person. So I'm excited to talk about this one. I, I am also un, totally unfamiliar beyond Whip My Hair. Oh, nice. 100% unfamiliar outside of that. If you're anything like me, you will be very surprised when you hit play on okay. that first track. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. For those of you following us on Spotify, there is an interactive feature that still none of us know where it actually <laughs> is. But there are, there are Q&As. And there are polls, and we've had two votes. I think one of those was me. <laughs> I think I voted in a poll. <laughs> so on Oliver Tree, the album Cowboy Tears, currently leading with 100% of the vote is I Did Not Like It. And then the album Painter Bades, 100% of the votes, one vote. Excellent. <laughs> so the people have spoken. <laughs> 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 <laughs>